Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 33. Today we are coming out of Luke chapter 6. As we make our journey through the 24 chapters of Luke, uh, ending right at Christmas Day. Uh, In chapter 6, it starts reading this. One Sabbath, Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Sometimes we get caught up in what we're doing instead of who we're doing it for. Um, God himself is the author of, and I'm just recalling, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because in them you think there is life, but it is me that they testify of. So that's kind of the mentality that we so often get inside of our religious framework and our religious thinking is we search the scriptures, we value them, but we forget who the author is, who testifies to them or who they testify of. And verse 6, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him, Jesus, to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find an accusation against him. I think this is an important thing that I need to interject, and we see this among many of even the body of Christ today. People are watching others closely so that they can find accusations um, against individuals. And that's a really alarming thing to you're actually aligning with the spirit that is at work even in this in the in the Pharisees of the Jesus's day this is the very people who um, decided to put Christ to death who plotted and ployed because they didn't like how he did things what he said how he went against their particular frames of mind so when when you behave that way you are actually aligning yourself with the spirit, with the Antichrist spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that we just kind of roll along with every heretical thing and we just throw truth out the window. No, uh, that is absolutely not the case. We stay biblically grounded in truth, and Jesus is the truth. But, but when we are keenly observing so that we can find fault and error— we are in a very dangerous place of getting swallowed up in that same spirit that was aligning itself, working itself through the Pharisees. In verse 8, it says, Even though he knew 
what they were thinking, he said to the man who, who had the withered hand, Come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to him, Stretched out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury. I mean, we, we actually discussed that um, a chapter or two ago. They, will, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. I am deeply stirred by that part. He sp he spent the night in prayer to God. I even just me personally, I I think about what did that look like. You know, we've we've heard if you've been in in you know spiritual religion for any number of of years or period of time, you've heard of of places doing you know all night prayer meetings and. Um, things like that. That's absolutely been done and it has been heard of. And and so people, there are people who do it. But when I just think about that, uh, especially even by yourself, what did that prayer look like between Jesus and the Father? What what was he saying? What was the flow of his interaction or his engagement with, with God the Father? Um I find it, and I'm sure many of you do, find it difficult to stay engaged in prayer um, for a period of time, much less a significant period of time. It's very easily easy for my mind to wander, as I'm sure maybe yours as well. And and I believe that God absolutely acknowledges that and appreciates our efforts, even as feeble as they are. But uh, I do wonder, what did that look like? Um, were there periods of time, and I think there were, were there periods of time where it was just silence, where where Jesus would just sit silent before God. His heart would be postured to the Father. He would be aware and mindful of his presence, but he would just sit quiet before him and just enjoy the company. I'm sure other moments were filled with words. I'm sure some moments were filled with tears. I'm sure some moments were filled with laughter. I think that is a place that we as Christians must get to is exploring the many facets of engagement with God. Verse 13, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose twelve of them. Now, that's a very important thing. I mean, when you realize it, who are you going to encircle yourself around? Jesus chose 12 of them. And so that was a very important moment in his ministry. Um, and so the moment preceding that was spent the night in prayer. I think we would learn a valuable lesson from that behavior um, that we would take away and 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 realize those detrimental moments, or not detrimental, but those <laughs> those um, very crucial, critical moments um, that we would swallow them up in prayer, and that l let the Holy Spirit lead and reveal up to us 
that which that God would have us do. And so he chose twelve of them, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Never forget that in, in Jesus' circle was a Judas, and Jesus knew very well that he would betray him. He was a piece of um, the, the storyline, and he was intentionally chosen. So we need not be surprised when we run into Judas's in our story, and um, let us not be offended and hurt and bitter when we come across those people, because Jesus himself had the same in his life. Verse 17, he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Um, we live in a spiritual culture where we tend to shy away from the miraculous and it's very it's very unfortunate because just as in the days of Christ people came with an expectation of healing and yes many people throughout history have carried this ability and many of them some of them have went into unfortunate roads, and so we tend to shy away from anything that has to do with such uh, miraculous things because it tends to make us a little nervous because of our history in in that arena. But um, when I think this is a big reason why people have migrate away from... Um, gathering with followers of Christ because there's this there's a loss of expectation um, I think that we go through the motions so often in our gatherings as Christians we go through the motions even well-intentioned that they may be but there's an absence of encounter there's an absence of expectation you know you we're coming together and we are going to touch the finger of God and be touched by the finger of God. So um, I think that's something that we need to recapture as a body of believers is come with expectation and come um, both in the both encounter and in the miraculous. Those who were troubled also came, um, who were troubled with unclean spirits, um, though, and they were cured. I think that's a great way to word it, troubled with unclean spirits. Um, but nonetheless, um, verse 19, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him for power came out from him and healed all of them. I've spent some uh, decent amount of time studying and exploring, uh, people that God used mightily. Um, and, uh, there was a particular, um, there's a particular person that comes to mind 
um, and his memory or his his name um, escapes me presently. But there is a story. Um, there's a story of him when he was in another country speaking and uh, preaching, uh, explaining the gospel, um, followed by uh, prayer, uh, hands laid on people. And it was getting to be such a late um, evening, had been there for hours, uh, countless people being prayed for, and he was just physically exhausted. And in this in this place, he just, his body could not keep up. People were being healed, set free, delivered. And, um, and so he kind of in, in a last ditch effort, um, decided to, um, he laid hands on a tree stump and, um, and said that, and prayed that anybody who would touch this, uh, tree stump would receive healing and after he ended up leaving from this place um, people would reach out and touch it and people continued to get healed um, that is a what seems like unbelievable uh, miracle um, and I, again i can't remember the name of this um, particular individual i'll try to maybe put it in the description notes um, so you can look into it. But um, one of the, what I was trying to get to was that um, power coming out from Jesus was healing people. And that's not really something that I have come across too much. Um, you know, people get, you know, lay hands on individuals and pray and God provides miraculous healing in the moment. Um, and so you see that, you know, quite often you see many different gifts um, and abilities that the Lord enables people to perform. Um, but that's not one that I've really come across much or heard much about is power coming out from a person um, when as people are trying to touch them. I've, I've seen and heard plenty of examples where, you know, things, um, people pray over objects and these objects will go back to the individual and they would be miraculously healed. Now we know this is nothing that the person has to offer. It's simply uh, Jesus, the healer, providing his um, power, his healing power, as um, kind of through a conduit, either be a person, an object, or whatever. Um, none of us have the ability. We are only conduits for God's power to operate through. Verse 20, then he looked up at his disciples and said, and this is where we're entering into what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets." 
Verse 27, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to, do to others as you would have them do to you. So this is kind of this is where we get our golden rule. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sin, even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I think that we need to take away much learning from those um, and as we realign some of our misperceptions um, in our current society. Verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own? Or how can you say to your neighbor, Friend, let me take out the speck in your eye when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Verse 43, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks i think that is a critical verse that we should all really meditate on out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks why do you call me lord lord and do not do what i tell you i will show you what someone is like who comes to me hears my words and acts on them that one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on, a gra on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house." Just kind of in closing, I do want to just mention one thing that I noticed there. Um, Jesus says that um, the man or the person who laid the foundation on rock and then they built their house, this river bursting against it could not shake it because it had been well built. 
what made the house well built? A solid foundation. And that is just like each and every one of our lives as Christians, we must be built on a solid foundation. And um, we know that the scripture calls Christ the cornerstone. And this is the chief stone that is responsible for the orientation, for the, the, the layout of all of the other stones. It's a critical stone in the building of the remaining. So I just think that we need to keep this in mind. There are many wonderful and blessed truths that we can take from Luke chapter 6. Um, I pray that this just uh, touched your heart that God would multiply his word in, in you and through you. And uh, thank you for taking the time to explore this with me. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. God bless. It means that I'm close to you. I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.